0: But have you ever wondered why why pastors, why Pastor John, I do it too, other pastors, spend so much time and effort trying to encourage everyone to come to church and even to listen to preaching outside of church? It's because we we all need it. It helps me. Uh, I'll be honest, one of the extra messages, kind of things I get besides my personal devotions and of course church, is I'll listen to a pastor, Kurt Skelly, that several of us met at the Makira Men's Meeting, and uh, he was our camp speaker a couple years ago, but uh, he does a daily podcast, Devotions, about 15 minutes, and that's one I enjoy, so I'll listen to that sometimes. Sometimes I'll even be on the lawnmower with some earbuds in, listening to Brother Kurt preach and, and just teach through a book of the Bible going through Revelation right now. Some of you, that would be real interesting, real up your alley, and he does a great job. But it was several weeks ago. I don't remember what his devotion was on. I don't remember if it was Revelation or if this was a previous book. But he mentioned this phrase, and it's the title of our message tonight, Deprived or Depraved? And I think I stopped the mower right then, pulled out my phone, hopped on my notes app where almost every sermon I ever preach starts, and uh, jotted that down. And really, that was probably two months ago easily. I had really been praying about it, digging into what God would have me to share with this. But deprived, or depraved? Deprived, where you, you lack something. Maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's finances, maybe it's an opportunity that you don't have, And that's defining your behavior and your choices. Or depraved, you realize, whether you use either of those words or not, that your sinful choices and my sinful choices are because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's not anybody else's fault. There's no excuse. If I make a wrong, depraved, sinful choice, it's because I made a wrong, sinful, depraved choice. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. When we do wrong, do we blame what we don't have? Or our own depraved sin nature? Do you think, wow, I need to get right? Or, ah, if only I had more money, more friends, more family, more opportunities, or a better, you fill in the blank, then I'd easily be able to do right. Many times we'll be deprived of something or someone. And sometimes that is gut-wrenchingly difficult. Some of you miss someone that's passed on. Some of you are, like me, you're separated from your extended family. My family lives in Pennsylvania, most of it. And, and you know, there's deprived of those conversations or at least face-to-face time as much as you'd like. Or maybe you're like, oh, man, I could use, these bills aren't getting paid. I could use more money. We get deprived of some things that we need sometimes. Maybe it's a friend or family member has let you down or you've had to do without some, without some things because of a financial difficulty. God certainly sees those hardships and cares deeply about our needs. But we should never use those things as an excuse for doing wrong. It's easy to start to feel sorry for ourselves and to be tempted to blame circumstances or other people instead of owning up to our own sins and faults and weaknesses so that we can get to the right solution. It was Benjamin Franklin that said, He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. And I've found that to be true in my own life to the point where I kind of hate that quote because it's challenging to me. All right, we're getting kind of personal in this message. You might feel your toes stepped on a little bit. I don't know, but I got to get even more personal just as we get started here. All right, so, you know, this, this will hit home for several of you. I hope you're, hope you're willing to take it. Here's the question. How's your football team doing so far? I heard a couple of laughs. I think I heard a couple of groans. Uh, I am, you know, fairly well known even looking on the back of my car as a Florida Gators college football fan. We won last night, but it was not a good game. I'll put it that way. Um, So I, I don't have much to brag on or anything there. But think about it early on in the season, a football team, maybe they're doing great. Maybe they're not doing well. Every one of them has a choice. Make excuses, say, oh man, maybe we get better draft picks, get better recruits for college, you know, get a different coach or, you know, this guy gets off injuries or that. Or they can say, whatever the circumstances, we're gonna step up and we're gonna get better. We're gonna get better right where we're at. And the season for NFL, college, any sport will tell what is going to happen with that team. Some teams, man, you lose. They lose a game, you got to watch out next game, they're going to tear somebody up because they're going to work like dogs that next week and they're going to be all over it. Others, they get one loss, the excuses, the whininess, the poutiness, and and their season's over from one loss. (laughs) I hope your football team steps up. I really hope the Florida Gators step up. They got Tennessee next week. But in our lives, it's the same way. We mess up or we see someone we care about mess up and, and fall into sin, jump into sin, And we can either say, oh, well, they just didn't have enough stuff, or I just, you know, and the excuses and the whininess start. (laughs) Or we can say, praise God, we have a Savior. And if you've never come to him for ultimate forgiveness, I hope you will tonight. Jesus really did die on the cross for us. He really did rise again. He really does offer salvation to all who will trust in him. And then as Christians, you can say, wow, man, I blew it again. But that was my fault. I blew it. I sinned. I messed up. I need to repent. I need to get right. And let's get back to even better. God, by your grace, I'm going to move forward and be even better after this. We need to stop making excuses and realize that, quite frankly, each of us, we're as close to God as we choose to be. I don't remember where I heard that one first either, but I don't like that one either because that one's convicting for me as well. But if we excuse away sin as something other than sin, we'll never repent, never choose to do our part to make it right, and never find real forgiveness and real help. If we keep finding excuses, even fancy words, instead of calling it a wrong choice, a mistake, a sin, we'll stop growth before it starts. So I hope as we look at our lives, each of us primarily, and then even as we look at those who we want to influence, that we'll be willing to call sin, sin, whether you use the word depraved or not, I don't don't recommend looking at your spouse, your husband, or your wife and saying, sweetie, you're really depraved. They might actually tend to show you just how depraved they are after that. I don't think that'll go well. I don't plan to do that. If you come in with fresh bruises next week, we'll know why. But I don't know that that's a wise choice. But at the same time, you know, even looking at our children, you know, I understand they've got to learn. That, you know, there's an age where they can understand right from wrong. But, man, if they're doing wrong, let's not excuse it away. Let's allow them the opportunity to realize, hey, this is wrong and I need a Savior. Or even as a Christian, this is wrong, and I need to get right. And let's help the lost people in our lives who don't know Jesus as Savior to see, oh man, we'll love you no matter what you do, but what you're doing, it's just proof that you need a Savior. Come meet our Savior. He loves you, and He'll offer you forgiveness. Boy, but let's start it at ourselves. We're going to take a quick look at three of King David's sons, who admittedly, they were likely, during parts of their lives at least, Deprived of a father who was as involved as he should have been, David did sin some. David took multiple wives, that divided his focus in some awkward family ways, and he had a divided focus. But each of us has a choice, just like they did. Two of these three guys made very wrong, very costly choices based on their depraved desires, and the other one, while not perfect, made a right choice, several of them, regardless of anything he was deprived of. Let's pray, and we'll look at these three guys briefly. Father God, thank you for offering us hope. Uh, We are depraved. We are hopelessly lost in our sins apart from you. But you came to earth. You died for us. You rose again. You paid the horrible price for our sins. I pray for anyone in here who has never accepted you as Savior, that tonight will be the night. Anyone watching online, any of it, that tonight will be the night they'll accept you as Savior and have their sins forgiven once and for all. But even maybe many of us have been saved for a long time. And I pray that we will not excuse away our sin and stop growing, but that we'll realize, no, it's, it's not any excuse. It's not something we lack. We have everything we need. Your word gives us all things pertaining to life and godliness, and that we will call sin, sin, especially in our own lives, and repent of it, get right with you, and keep growing. Please help us with that, and I pray that you'll bless the message. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, first of all, and again, we're just hopping through David's family tree just real briefly here, but we've got his son Amnon. Even if you feel deprived of something, never give in to your depraved desires. Unfortunately, Amnon does. He allowed his depraved lust to take over and wrong influence to take over. Really, it wasn't his fault that his dad David had multiple wives and a messed up family situation. I realize David is the man after God's own heart. If I ever end up being half the man David was, I'll I'll be pretty satisfied. I'm not saying this to run him down. He had a tender heart, repented of his sin but I don't think Amnon had as involved of a dad in his life as I did. I'll just put it that way, and that's I still do with my dad there. I imagine he had some difficulties. Maybe you can relate, or maybe you're very much like, I can't relate to that. I can't firsthand. I I have a wonderful father. Still alive today. I saw him just a couple weeks ago. Great dad. Absolutely. But maybe for you it's something else, and you could say, well, I would be able to be a better, you know, Worker, a better husband, a better wife, a better man, a better woman, a better teenager, a better kid. If it only weren't for, well, no. It came down to a choice for Amnon. His lust was catastrophic. It could be lust of the eyes or lust of the flesh. And for now, let's just define lust this way. Wanting the wrong thing or the right thing at the wrong time in the wrong way or in the wrong amount. And boy, that can creep in for any of us in so many ways. Let me just say that one more time. But wanting the wrong thing or wanting the right thing at the wrong time, or in the wrong way, or in the wrong amount. 2 Samuel chapter 13 is where we'll be to start off. I'll give you a moment to turn there if you'd like to. But 2 Samuel 13, and we'll start in verse 1, looking at Amnon's story. And uh, we'll jump in in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass after this that Absalom, we'll come back to Absalom, the son of David had a fair sister, whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. And Amnon was so vexed that he fell sick for his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and Amnon thought it hard for him to do anything to her. So unfortunately, he's going to allow his wrong desire at the wrong time to take over. And he's going to act on that. Uh, On a lighter note, one man tells this story. He says, while my wife and I were out shopping at a mall kiosk, an attractive woman strolled by. This is him saying it, not me. He said, my eyes followed her. Without looking up from the item she was examining, my wife asked, was it worth the trouble you're in? <laughs> Sometimes, I heard a lot of guys laughing there. I don't know. I think maybe some guys can relate from whatever reason they're getting in trouble with your wife there. But let's see our depraved, sinful desires for what they are. Something to say no to, not something to indulge. And let's look at the end of the road. The trouble will get in. The, the displeasing of maybe a spouse but ultimately of our Savior. The wrong influence that Amnon chose to follow was costly. So not only is he already working on some some lust, some wrong desire, but now he's got a wrong friend that he chooses to follow and chooses to listen to that kind of pushes him over the edge. In fact, I've heard an entire sermon years ago in college called, Amnon had a friend. And when I first heard that, I don't think I was thinking who Amnon was at that point. And before we dove in, I'm like, wow, this is going to be a great, encouraging message on what friends can do. And that's what it should have been. But it wasn't. We'll skip ahead to verse 3. Or look right there, 2 Samuel 13, verse 3. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very subtle man. And he said unto him, Why art thou, being the king's son, lean or sad from day to day? Wilt thou not tell me? And Amnon said unto him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. And Jonadab said unto him, Lay thee down on thy bed, make thyself sick. And when thy father cometh to see thee, say unto him, I pray thee, let my sister Tamar come and give me meat and dress the meat in my sight that I may see it and eat it at her hand. Many of you, no doubt, are familiar with this story. We won't look at every verse. But basically, Jonadab's like, here's how you trick her to assault her. Here's how you trick David, trick Tamar, and... Have your way, you get, you get to a soldier, you get to do this horrible, horrible thing. With friends like these, who needs enemies, right? Let's not be that kind of friend, but let's be careful what kind of influence it is. He could say, I'm deprived of this relationship, I'm deprived of what I want. Or he could say, wow, this desire is wrong. What would be a right desire? This desire is wrong, it's not something to reason with, it's something to say no to. Have you ever reasoned with sin? Or even before you sin, have you ever reasoned with temptation? I'm sure we all have. I, I will be honest, I saw a bunch of very, very still heads. I'm not going to shake my head. I'm not going to admit it. We probably all have taken times where we've reasoned with temptation and said, no, I deserve this, or if only I, I, you know, this weren't withheld from me, or if only God didn't say this was wrong, or it's so cruel that God would de-. No, no, no. He needed to say, no, this is wrong. But unfortunately, he moves ahead. I've heard it said, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. I've also heard it said, good friends, good future, bad friends, bad future. The people we choose to surround ourselves with can help us give in to our depraved nature, make us feel like we're deprived, like we owe this to ourselves, whatever wrong thing it is, or help us to do right. And unfortunately, Amnon gave in to a very selfish choice, 2 Samuel 13, verse 14 um, skipping down a little bit, Tamar comes. He says, the Bible says, Howbeit he would not hearken unto her voice, but being stronger than she, forced her and lay with her. He does a horrible thing out of pure selfishness. But how often do all of us give in to selfishness? Uh, this was interesting to me. There was a study on the principle of the Golden Rule conducted by a guy named Bernard Rimland, director of the Institute for Child Behavior Research. He found that the happiest people are those who help others. Each person involved in the study was asked to list 10 people that they knew best and to label them as happy or not happy. Now they can be honest. They can just pick happy or not happy. That person isn't there, those 10 people are absent. Then they were to go through the list again and label each one as selfish or unselfish. So far, completely separate. Happy, unhappy, selfish, unselfish. Using the following definition of selfishness. A stable tendency to devote one's time and resources to one's own interests and welfare, an unwillingness to inconvenience oneself for others. Rimland found that all of the people labeled happy were also labeled unselfish. He concluded, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And it's amazing. God's principles just simply work. If we'll say no to ourselves, if we'll say no, okay, I want this thing, but that's my depraved, sinful nature that's wrong. It's not that I'm deprived of something good. It's not that God's saying no to something good. It's that God's protecting me from something bad. And we'll care more about others than ourselves. We'll be unselfish. We'll be happier people. We'll receive, even on a deeper level, God's rich blessings. Even if you, defeat, even if you feel deprived of something, never give in to depraved desires. Next, we look at Absalom. Said we'd come back to him. Even if you feel deprived of something, continue to conquer your depraved pride. And by the way, if you're sitting there thinking, I don't have any pride, you probably do. Usually the times when I'm the most arrogant, the most prideful in my own heart and life are the times I think I'm the least prideful, the least arrogant. The times I think, man, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm being humble. I got this going. I'm doing right. It's the times I'm doing the worst. And uh, uh, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God's been gracious enough in my life to let that be a little more gentle than I've deserved. But uh, he's had to bring me down in some different times. Man, let's stay humble. Let's care more about God than our own selves. Yeah, Absalom was deprived of his father's love at times. Often through his own choices, Absalom made some really bad ones. But he could have found purpose in God and his greatness and in God's greatness, instead of trying to sinfully elevate himself to a position of greatness, we'll just be looking at a couple snippets of Absalom's story. But there was a problem. I don't think during these years David was as involved in his kingdom as he probably should have been, relying on God's power. There, there was a problem. But if we, like Absalom, think we're the solution to every problem, then we are the problem. Really, if if we think, oh man, at work all they need is me. If they'll just follow all my ideas, this will be great. No, no, we're the problem. If we think, wow, if God just will let me do whatever I think is best, then everything will be, man, everybody will get saved, the world will be, no, no, we're the problem. I heard it said once that it's a dangerous thing if every illustration a pastor uses um, puts himself as the hero. Our pastor doesn't do that at all. But at the same time, if every illustration is just, and look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, it's a bad sign. But I think it's just as bad of a sign of pride if every story told at work around the water cooler is look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. If every story at home is look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Unfortunately, that's the attitude Absalom had. It was depraved pride. 2 Samuel 15, if you look over just a couple chapters, we'll jump into 2 Samuel 15 and verse 1. And again, hopping through here fairly quickly, but it says, And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and fifty men to run before him. Again, elevating himself. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man had a controver- that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is, one, is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man de- deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said "Moreover, over, Oh, that, they, that I were made judge in the land. Again, you can just see the pride. And he little by little steals much of the heart of Israel and even takes over at one point. The, the land didn't need David at his best to Absalom. The land needed Absalom. He was the hero. All that Israel lacked was him. It was all about him. I look at that and how we can often get, if we're being arrogant, as me trying to fix a bunch of cars. Now, some of you know me well enough to know that, uh, you know, hopefully I'm a reasonably intelligent person, but definitely not when it comes to fixing cars. You don't want me fixing your car. I mean, you know, I can fill oil. I can change oil, you know, maybe change a spark plug. I don't know. Some of these cars, they're really up under weird. I don't know. Anyway, I call Brother Robbie, Brother Terry, take it to the shop, something. But uh, I could say I've got it all figured out and try to fix car, after car, after car. But those of you who know me well enough, what's going to happen to car, after car, after car? They're going to be coming to Terry, or Robbie, or somebody else with a whole longer, much longer list of problems. I would be the problem in making it much worse. We need to recognize spiritually when we're the problem. It's not someone else. Absalom's problems were not David. David wasn't perfect. I don't think David did a lot of things right in this. I think he could have captured and kept the heart of Absalom much more effectively. I really do. Not looking into all of that. But regardless of what David did, Absalom was making a wrong choice. Let's not make the problem worse and worse by trying to do it ourselves. Let's repent of wrong and come to God. Absalom goes on to take over the kingdom temporarily. Many of you know the story. But inevitably, battle uh, breaks out and it doesn't work out for Absalom. In fact, his pride lifted him up in the worst possible way. His, he was arrogant about his hair, 2 Samuel 18, 9. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about this, but he bragged about his hair. He's very caught up in his appearance, and his hair ended up costing him his life. Absalom, in verse 2 Samuel 18, verse 9, says, And Absalom met the servants of David in battle there. And Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak. And his hair caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth. And the mule that... Was under him, went away. Joab comes, thrusts him through with some darts, kills him. The very thing that was almost the symbol of his pride, his physical appearance, ended up being his downfall. Now, usually it doesn't happen in quite as dramatic a fashion as that. But what area or what attribute are you so proud and arrogant about that you may be brought down by it? What do you need to say? Okay, this is something I take pride in, but I think it's becoming where I'm arrogant about it. I'm I'm prideful about it, focused on this myself instead of being humble. And God, I repent of it. This is wrong. It's not, oh, look at me. Look at what I'm doing. It's this is wrong. Absalom, yes, he had some difficulties, even in his relationship with his father. But there was a much better way to hold on to it. He could have said, hey, some of what David's done is wrong, but what I'm doing is wrong, and he could have changed the entire story. Last, we get to end on a guy who gets it right, and you probably knew it a while ago, but uh, Solomon. No matter what you feel deprived of, seek for God's desires more than your own. Solomon, toward the end of his life, he, he does fall into some sin, does get led away from God. We're not getting that far tonight. But at the same time, so much throughout his life, he cared more about seeing God's glory, God's vision, for the kingdom and for the temple more than his own. Solomon sought to satisfy God's desires more than his own. For Solomon, worship was a priority. And worship really needs to be a priority in a lifestyle, more than just an occasion or a part of a service. I'll just be honest. No matter where you're at, come to church, sing, worship God. But I'm not sure God's all that impressed if the only time we worship God is right here. If the only time we worship is when we sing. Now, singing is worship. It's a great form of worship, it's commanded in Scripture. Absolutely. Let's sing. But let's worship on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You know, you get the idea. Let's worship every day. Let's, let's worship in the middle of work. I think it was a couple weeks ago uh, in Sunday school, I, I concluded a message, or maybe it was Wednesday night, but there's the, uh, the um, Disney song, old Disney song, Just Whistle While You Work, and I ended it with Just Worship While You Work. And I even said to do, 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 for them. And that was fun. Hopefully it helped them remember it. But let's worship while we work. Let's worship in everything that we do. Solomon did it. For Solomon, worship was a priority. First Kings chapter 3 is where we are. I apologize. It's a little ways to flip over there. But 1 Kings chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 3. I think that's the last chapter you need to turn to tonight. 1 Kings chapter 3. And starting in verse 3, it says, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. He wasn't perfect. Verse 4, And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. A thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. And a lot of us know what comes next, and it's easy to think temple, it's easy to think wealth beyond imagining, it's easy to think wisdom. It all started with worship. And he didn't sing a note. Again, sing, worship. But he used what he had. And if you know anything about Solomon, I think he enjoyed wealth. What did he sacrifice here? Some serious wealth. And he wasn't nearly as wealthy at this point either. He was wealthy. He was king. Israel was doing great. But he wasn't nearly as wealthy. He sacrificed wealth. He sacrificed time, effort, worshipped God. I read this. The French have a proverb which states, A good meal ought to start with hunger. It's hard to enjoy a meal when you are not yet hungry, but when you are hungry, anything tastes good. If we approach the word with a hunger to be satisfied, we will be satisfied every time. Effective worship begins with a hunger for God. We all need God's word, but we don't always notice. You ever not think you were that hungry until you started smelling that food? I like cheeseburgers. I'll be driving past a, a restaurant, you know, just even McDonald's or, or Burger King. I don't have fancy tastes. And, and they they have the blowers, the fans, you know, clearing out the kitchen of, of what would be smoke and all of that, and it just smells so good. Sometimes I won't even be hungry, or I won't realize it until I smell it. Let's realize we need God. Let's realize we need to take time to worship Him, even before we always feel like it. Sometimes I'm not all that hungry until I take one bite was the smell, it's that first bite, and then I'm starving. And I'm like eating way too much because I realize, wow, I'm starving. I'm hungry. I'm so hungry. I need to eat. Let's, let's come to that first bite. Let's start worshiping. Let's wake up tomorrow morning and worship God. Maybe that's going to a job that you know God wants you to be at, but it's difficult. Let's have a good attitude and worship God. Sing tomorrow morning, in the shower or not. I don't care. I'm not here to judge. But uh, sing to the Lord. Read your Bible. Pray. But, you know, live out the Christian life. Show God that he's worth it. That was a priority for Solomon. We could say, oh, no, my, my job's difficult. Oh, no, I don't like this circumstance. I can't worship God because of this and this and this. I'm deprived of this and this. No, 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 no. That's an excuse. Let's step up and let's worship God every time. We all need to take time to worship God. When Solomon was offered then whatever he wanted, he chose what pleased God and helped and impacted people. He could have said, ah, finally, I've been deprived as king of so much, which probably wouldn't be true, but he might have felt that way. And now, finally, I can get what I deserve. I can get what's coming to me, wealth and riches and long life and all these things. No, he said, I'm a depraved, sinful person, so to speak. And he asked for the right thing. Notice in 1 Kings 3, verse 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. So humble, almost opposite of Absalom there, really. Verse 7 And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge? This, thy so great a people. He asked for wisdom, basically. God blesses him with wisdom and so many other things. But he recognized his need. He recognized this is what will allow me to do the job God has. And he cared about God's desires more than his own. And God blessed him for it, just like he'll bless us. We might think we'd do something super spiritual uh, like that if we ever got to make a wish for whatever we wanted. But every day... We're working toward things we want or working toward things we want to become. So what's growing in your life? What are you working toward? What are you working for? If we're not working for what pleases God and what fulfills his desires, if we got a wish for whatever we wanted, we'd wish for whatever we're working for now, not there. So we can check our own hearts right there. No matter what you feel deprived of, seek for God's desires more than your own. It's easy to think a message like this is for somebody else. It's easy to think, those aren't my sins, but that probably means pride is there. And maybe some things we don't even want to admit to ourselves, let alone anyone else. It's easy to think, I'm not an Amnon. I'd never do something like that, assault a person. But all kinds of desires can get out of control and become sinful if we don't stay on guard against our depraved sin nature. It's easy to feel conviction over sin in our lives. Maybe it's a sin mentioned specifically in this message. Maybe something else God brought to your mind during the message. It's easy to feel that conviction and think that we need to deal with that someday. It's easy to know there's something more we should be doing for God and plan to get busy when we get around to it. So the teens and I are going to give you each a little something to help you remember this message and put into action. The teens may go ahead and... Uh, They're seriously going to walk around and pass something out to each of you. There should be enough, and that is yours to keep, and I'll talk about it in just a little bit. Feel free to give a chuckle when you get it. Not original to me by any stretch. By the way, if somebody next to you doesn't get it, help them out a little bit. I think baby Ava could have her own. I mean, unless she eats it, I'm not responsible. If she takes a bite out of that thing. And I knew this would take a moment, and I'm okay with that. Kind of a serious message, kind of a lighthearted ending, but I want to just draw this to a close and apply it a couple of different ways. Anything in your spiritual life that you're like, ah, when I get around to it, I'm going to do this. You just got around to it. (laughs) Excuses are gone. I hope you'll put that somewhere, not, not because of some genius illustration, and it's definitely not original to me, but it's a simple reminder. I hope you'll put that somewhere in your car, in your room, that you'll glance at it once in a while here in the next coming days and even weeks. you be like, I have been putting that off for God. I do know there's something I need to do. If pride is holding you back, messing up relationship after relationship, and you know it, you know you need to repent and be humble when you get around to it, there's your round to it. If lust and wrong desires of any kind need to go, there's your, and you know they need to go whenever you get around to it, there you go. If you know the excuses need to stop and growth with God needs to begin one of these days when you get around to it, there you go. You have your round to it. If you always see what others need in message after message after message, but you know you need to start looking at your own heart during sermons, when you get around to it, you got around to it. If there's an area of sin in your life you've been planning to repent of and deal with when you get around to it, here's your chance. If there's a coworker, a friend, or a family member you know you need to witness to when you get around to it, today's the day. If you know you need to accept Jesus as your Savior, maybe you believe every word that the Bible says. You're you're not rejecting. You're not saying, that's not true. That's not for me. You know it's for you. But you just haven't gotten around to it. There you go. This would be a great day, a great time for you to accept Jesus as your Savior, have all of your sins forgiven, be on your way to heaven one day. You've now gotten around to it, and I hope you'll make that decision. I hope you'll act on it tonight, even as we close in prayer. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. It has some heavy stuff, some convicting stuff. Maybe from this message, maybe from the message this morning, or or just maybe you spoke to each of our hearts about something different. I pray that we won't make excuses, that we won't put it off. We'll see our need for you as Savior. We'll see our need for you just to help us. We'll see our need to repent of any sin in our lives and make that right. And instead of putting it off until we get around to it, that we'll do that even now. May the silly, simple, round-to-it reminder be a help to each of us to, to get busy for you, to be busy for you, to make that decision, to make that change, to witness to that friend, to do whatever you have for us now instead of later. I pray that you'll bless the rest of our night as we head outside in just a little bit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.